My next door neighbor uh, got meningitis uh, right around this time last year, right around finals, and it was it was nearly right after he and his wife had their third child, a baby boy, and my friend was hospitalized for two weeks, and so the first two weeks of this child's life, um, he left his wife at home to look after three kids alone, and um, it, was, it was just awful. It was around finals. It was really stressful. And last January, my older brother was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and this past year uh, for me and my family has been extremely trying and in our, our relationships, kind of broadly speaking, our marriages, we have difficulties making eye contact with one another when we speak, much less loving one another selflessly and sacrificially. Our bodies are achy and fragile, and our hearts are too. Oftentimes when we wake up in the morning, one of the first thoughts that come to our minds is what are those of the psalmist when he cried out to God, how long? How long? And the reality is that the Christian life is one of affliction. The Christian life is one of affliction. The Apostle Paul knew this all too well. And we're going to see that in our text this morning. The church in Corinth, in the time of the writing of 2 Corinthians, they needed to hear what Paul had to say. They were disoriented, afflicted, confused. And in light of Pastor Ron's sermon last week from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in our sermon series on 1 Corinthians, he preached a sermon that dealt with the coming gauntlet of fire. That is, all of our works and our deeds will be judged by the living God. It was a sobering sermon in a sobering text, and um, it was appropriate to feel um, the weightiness of that passage. But he asked me to preach from a passage in 2 Corinthians this morning from one of the most Glorious passages in the New Testament describing the coming glory, that is, the new heavens and the new earth. So, like the church in Corinth, we need to hear what the Apostle Paul had to say. We are disoriented and afflicted by all sorts of things. So, if you'll turn now, I'm going to read the text aloud. The insert is in your bulletin. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so that we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word to us this morning. Let me pray that we might receive it. Oh Lord, we're told that your word is living and active, and it's because you are living and active. We don't have hearts to receive you. Our default disposition isn't to open, 
isn't to open our eyes to view your glory revealed through your word. So we ask you here and now to have your way with us this morning. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing that we see um, that in this passage that Paul stresses to the Corinthian church is the reality of Christ's resurrection. The reality of Christ's resurrection. Look with me in verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul is stressing that just as Christ rose from the dead, so will the church. Christ is commonly known, his resurrection was a first fruits resurrection. That is to say that because of his resurrection, there's a lot more that's going to happen. And because the church is united to Christ, they have union with Christ, we're going to rise and raise from the dead too. That's what Paul is trying to say. And he wants the church to have, he wants the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, to have their identity and their destiny rooted intimately in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is significant, so giving you some context into what the Corinthians were dealing with, there were false apostles that had a false message. And part of this false message was an emphasis and a prioritization on outward things. And so, namely, particularly, that is um, rhetorical skill and swagger, letters of recommendation. These were all outer signs that um, this is a good Christian life they were proclaiming. And so the Apostle Paul uh, is trying to orient their vision toward things that they can't see, they can't touch, they can't smell, and they can't feel. He's trying to orient their vision to the resurrected Christ and nothing else. So children, when they uh, are in elementary school, let's say they're at recess and they get kicked, or they get picked last on the kickball team and they're crushed. Then in middle school, they get new shoes for the fall semester and they wear their new shoes to the first day of school and one of the popular kids makes fun of their shoes. And then in high school, they're broken up with by their girlfriend or boyfriend, right around the time of prom or junior-senior banquet, they don't have a date now. I bet that has, is ringing a bell for a lot of you, or maybe it is for you now. And all along the while, they, these kids and all these, these kids um, will come to their parents and they'll lament to them, they'll complain to them. And the parents will respond in certain things like this. Let me read a few. It's going to be okay. You won't care about this in a few days. Trust me, I promise you won't. You're going to learn from this and so on. Don't let this carry more weight than it should. Now, the, the child is blinded throughout each day from elementary to high school, and we could certainly uh, broaden this to adults. They're blinded by their embarrassment, their disorientation, their discouragement, their affliction. The parents are the ones that have proper perspective. And so it might have seemed, and I actually, I hope that um, these, it's going to be okay, etc. That might have seemed like a cliche to you, like cliche sayings. But it's actually, uh, the mo- it's more in tune with reality than anything the child is experiencing in that moment. So they're saying, don't look at all these things. Don't look at the outward things that are going to you, what's going on inside you. It's going to be okay. Don't let these things carry more weight than they ought. The Apostle Paul is trying to reorient the Corinthian church's vision to Jesus Christ, 
who he is, what he's done, and to have their identity in him. So I want to ask you, what, what or who is capturing your vision right now? I know for me, um, if I'm honest, there are a lot of churchy things and a lot of theological things that sound very godly that actually have nothing to do with my relationship with Christ and my love for him. And I bet if you're honest, um, honest with yourself, you have these things too. We have things that are demanding our attention, our love, and our vision every single day. I don't know what those things are for you, but I think it's easy for all of us in the church and uh, collectively and especially in our individual lives is to kind of devalue the resurrection of Christ or to kind of make it only an Easter Sunday thing. Here's what I mean. There, there are a lot of uh, Christian traditions and denominations that, that we all kind of have our hobby horses and so in some traditions, it's the resurrection, and sometimes it's at the expense of other, uh, other theological uh, truths within the gospel story, sometimes at the expense of them, like the atonement. And in other traditions, they emphasize the atonement at the expense of the resurrection. And I know, I know for myself, I kind of do this personally. I don't realize that every Sunday morning is a resurrection morning. In our liturgy, even now, we're in the season of Eastertide. We're still celebrating the the risen Christ right now, this Sunday, not just the two days after Good Friday when we release balloons into the air and eat really well and hunt Easter eggs, which is wonderful. But we need to ask God for, uh, for Him to give us Easter vision, not only for every Sunday, but every morning of the day, every morning of the week, rather. So what, what else does the Apostle Paul uh, express to the Corinthians and he want, what does he want them to embrace? The next thing that we see here in our text is that Paul's trying to, to get at their, their being renewed day by day. The Corinthian church is being renewed day by day. Look with me in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul longs for the Corinthians to have new vision, not only for the future, but for the here and for the now. And Paul, even in his, um, even in his appeal to the Corinthians, and he can say, do not lose heart, it assumes the human tendency to lose heart. Paul knows, uh, and he's vulnerable in so much of his writing, even in 2 Corinthians, about the afflictions that he endured. He was tempted to lose heart. This isn't just like therapy for Paul. He experienced this. And I think that should comfort because um, we should just feel the, the, the normalizing nature of our tendency to just be worn down and to have affliction in this life. But Paul isn't saying, look to the future. He's saying, look, look in the here and now in your everyday life. You're being renewed day by day. My brother has responded exceptionally well to chemo. Um, thankfully, actually, yesterday he um, he and my dad went to MD Anderson to see if he was a candidate for surgery to have it's, it was colon cancer spread to his liver, and to see if he was a candidate to have the cancer uh, the tumor surgically removed where he could technically be cancer free. And when he went, they told him he's not a, can- a candidate for surgery because there's just not enough cancer. Um, and this is wonderful. Um, 
and he, every single scan result that he's had in the past year has been positive, and it's just, it's been amazing. But here's the thing, when my brother has these side effects in chemo, the nausea, the, the fatigue, and so on, and no appetite, it does not seem like things are getting better. Even after having two or three really good scans, it, like nothing in his experience is pointing to the fact that he, his body is actually responding very, very well. But that's actually what is happening. That's what happened. I want to ask, how do you view Christian growth? How do you see sanctification? Do you primarily see it as mountaintop experiences in which God's hand and presence are just so palpably felt? You could just taste it. If you're a Christian this morning, you might have had maybe a conversion story or times in your life where you had these mountaintop experiences, and that's wonderful. You should thank God for those. But most of us know, and I, I, I know this to be true for myself, um, you know that the daily grind of following God does not always involve feeling Him and seeing Him in a tangible way. More often than not, we have to put one foot in front of the other, taking God at His word that He's renewing us day by day. That's what we have to do. So if God's forming us into the image of His Son day by day, how can we, like, what does that mean? That's, that's great news, but since we can't feel it and see it, how might we be able to get a sense for it? Well, um, I think we're all tempted to do this, but instead of praying and thinking and considering about the things of God only on Sunday morning, if that's a temptation to you, I would encourage you to be on the lookout for the ways in which God is at work in your everyday life. And this could be in even the most mundane situations. It's in your minivans and pickup trucks, in your kitchens, in your bathrooms, in your wherever it is, in your joys and your sorrows. This is the this is the places in which that God is renewing you day by day. This is a comprehensive renewal. It's not just for Sunday morning corporate worship. And I, I think it, it's helpful um, when we know this because it'll, see, it'll, it'll allow us to see our affliction in its proper perspective. This is actually a fair game for God to renew us. So I pray that you and I would cultivate a vision not just for the seen, Uh, for the unseen things to come, but for the unseen things right here and right now. Paul has more for the Corinthians. He's not done with them. And he has some things to say that are, um, are better than they could ever imagine. And that is that they're being renewed, not only being renewed, but they're being prepared for an eternal weight of glory. They're being prepared for an eternal weight of glory. And I want to say on the front end before we read read the text, that this is not a lecture on Christian eschatology, and we're not even going to be able to begin to fathom the weightiness of what Paul's getting at. So look with me in uh, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul is elaborating on the meaning of of verse 16 by his use of light momentary affliction. What's clear in the text is that Paul is is forming a relationship between affliction and glory. And we see this in two primary ways, and we try to make sense of Paul's language here on eternal weight of glory. 
The Hebrew word for weight and glory is the same word. Paul knows this. And what we should, we should know and feel is that something's glory and something's weightiness is its essence, its substance, and acting in accordance to that nature, that substance, that, that essence. And so humanity's glory is it's being made in the image of God and acting out of that glory, out of that substance. So our, our gl- humanity's glory is our humanness. A moon, the moon... Uh, their glory and weightiness is to reflect light from the sun. And uh, so its glory is its moonness. A dog's glory is its dogness. That's what we should know. The second thing to notice here is that Paul is trying to speak comparatively. He's trying to compare affliction and glory. So Paul can say, don't lose heart, because he knows that the afflictions are momentary and light compared to the weightiness of the eternal glory to come. This is what Calvin said about this in his commentary on this passage. For this comparison makes light, which previously seemed heavy, and makes brief and momentary which seemed boundless, which, uh, which seemed of boundless duration. Also, I highly recommend C.S. Lewis's Weight of Glory, in which he explores uh, kind of the consummation of all things and kind of the larger theme that Paul's trying to get at here and of, in ways that C.S. Lewis can only do. You should really read it if you haven't. And he uses consummation language to talk about, he kind of, would, he kind of explains it as it's the glory, our humanness, consummated. It's the dogness, it's the moonness consummated. Um, and he sparks our imaginations really well in it. But before we go further, I want you to kind of slow down for a minute. Now, I'm sorry if that seemed like a lot, but it, I think it's worth it. Um, I want you to reflect back on a few, just in your head right now, reflect back on some of the most pleasurable experiences you've ever had in your life, like two or three. I don't know what those were. It might have been an amazing meal. It might have been your wedding day. It might have been hiking to some sort of um, scenic place and overlooking and just being in awe of God's creation. I don't know what those were. But multiply them by a thousand, and that does not even begin to touch what Paul is getting at. I, we really need to feel it. Um, also, think about the afflictions that you've gone through in your life, or maybe you're going through what you walked in here with this morning. I don't know what those things are. Actually, I know a lot of, of what people in this room are dealing with and the weightiness of their affliction, and it seems anything but light. So the eternal weight of glory is going to make it seem insignificant and light in comparison that's what Paul's trying to say to the Corinthians. That's what the Lord is trying to say to us. And I don't want to downplay affliction, and neither is, a, neither is Paul or suffering. Like I said, he was vulnerable about his own affliction and suffering elsewhere. He's saying don't lose heart because he knows we will, we want to. But what Paul's trying to do, Paul is trying to cultivate the Corinthian church's imagination for eternal glory. This is not for a theology exam. He's trying to let their imaginations run wild for what is to come. How does this happen? Paul helps us. He tells us 
that we not only, he, he tells us to look to things that are not seen but unseen, which assumes we're tempted to look in the wrong directions, in the wrong ways. For Paul, the eternal glory is not found in rhetorical skill or swagger or human approval. The eternal glory is in the unseen realities of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit making all things new. That's where they are. And one day we'll see very plainly and we'll feel the weightiness of the eternal glory of which Paul is talking about. The Corinthians were tempted to look elsewhere. They, they wanted things they, can, they could see and feel and touch. That's where they wanted to look. And as modern Americans, so are we. So we say, give, give me flashy, give me, give me sexy, give me status, give me pleasure, but don't tell me to wait. And definitely don't tell me to wait on something I can't see. We're scientifically oriented, etc. And we're impatient. Don't tell me to wait. And really, Paul's words, if we're honest, they're primitive. They're, it's, it's wishful thinking at best. Especially as we feel the weightiness of our affliction. We need imaginative faith in our affliction. We need to ask God to open our, our eyes to the glory that is to come. Because the reality is we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. God is preparing Old Orchard Church for an eternal weight of glory right here and right now. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that your afflictions are light? Do you believe that the eternal weight of glory will swallow them up one day and you won't even think about them? This is a God worth trusting. This is a God worth following. My, one of my best friends, he was a groomsman at my wedding. He's at another seminary. He and his wife, when they were pregnant, when their first, first child, baby boy, um, they were seven months pregnant, and the, uh, the baby died. And she had to deliver the baby. And they had a funeral service for this child, and I was a pallbearer in it. And when we were there, when Ivy and I went there, Jackson, Mississippi, um, In the service, we sang about God's resurrection. We sang about God's cross. We sang about how God had redeemed the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. We read about this. We said things to one another. We whispered things. We shouted things. We cried things. But this is where our hope is. That the resurrected Christ is making all things new. And it actually touches us right here right now. And later on that night after the funeral, Davis and I, my friend, were up really late um, talking and crying and laughing and um, for a really long time. <clears throat> and then he read this to me. This is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the, he- for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither, there, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Listen, I know that many of you in this room are struggling physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We share this in our confession of sin, in our small groups, in our kitchens, in our minivans, or in our pickup trucks. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is where you're going. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're being renewed day by day. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're united to Him. In His death you were buried, and you will be raised from the dead, because Christ is risen. I want to ask this question, and I honestly forgot to ask it at the beginning. Is it worth it? That's the title of this sermon. Is it worth it to endure life's afflictions in this Christian life? Is there hope for the Christian? Absolutely, it's worth it. God is not done with us. God is not done with the Old Orchard Church. God's redemptive powers at work here and now in our small groups, in our singing and praying, in our parenting and our working. And I invite you right here as we partake in the Lord's Supper, let your imaginations run wild because we're going somewhere, Old Orchard Church. Amen.